Hi, I'm Michael Siddle. And I'm Nick Nanos. And welcome to Trendline. Uh, before we get underway, Nick, I just want to uh, share our thoughts to uh, the people of BC, our friends and family, uh, as that province undergoes uh, historic flooding. Um, for the latest on that, uh, you can go to ctvnews.ca. Uh, also, congratulations to the Canadian men's soccer team. Now we are at the top of the CONCACAF group. Pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, some, you know, reason to celebrate. Hey, uh, listen, we got to take minus 10. They're playing soccer mm. in Edmonton. So kudos to Edmonton and the, and the Edmonton fans that were cheering Canada on. But what an exciting game last night. Top mm. of CONCACAF and uh, hopeful. Why don't we say hopeful right hopeful. now in terms of uh, World Cup? qualifying chances mm. uh now in this episode uh some major news out of uh out of parliament uh this week so conservative leader aaron o'toole has kicked senator denise batters out of caucus so we will be doing a, a check a check-in with the opposition ahead of uh parliament resuming next week uh we're also going to look at the most politically dominant premier in canada i will let our listeners guess who that is and finally, uh, Nick, you've got a lot of great numbers on uh, U.S.-Canada relations for this week's uh, Three Amigos Summit. So first, uh, yeah, major news out, out of Ottawa. Uh, Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole kicks uh, Harper appointee Senator Denise Batters out of caucus. Uh, is, this a, is this division, what, what's, what's uh, driving it, Nick? Well, there's a, there's a fight for the heart and soul of the, uh, of the Conservative Party right now. And you know what? It's kind of like uh, it's retro hour, right? Mm. In the old days, we talked about the progressive, the former progressive conservatives and the former Canadian Alliance Reform Party, those two parties coming together. And those old battle lines are being drawn right now. And, uh, and as a result, I think what we're seeing is a lot, of, uh, a lot of tension and division within the party. And this was brewing, Michael, even before election day. I think it happened when uh, when Aaron O'Toole had that uh, when he had that endorsement from former Prime Minister Brian Mulroney, who is one of the most successful Conservative Prime Ministers in uh, modern era. The other successful Conservative Prime Minister in the modern era is uh, is Stephen Harper. So, you know, can, can, can you imagine Stephen Harper watching the news and seeing Aaron <laughs> O'Toole and Brian Mulroney. Yeah. Uh, would, you, would you want to have been a fly on the wall? Oh, my one? gosh. Who knows what Stephen Harper might have been saying in perhaps a uh, firm or loud voice while he was watching that. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is that, uh, you know, Stephen Harper still has a lot of clout and strength within the party, as does former Prime Minister Brian Mulroney. And, uh, and you know, I think what some conservatives who thought that they were voting for a uh, socially conservative uh, leader in under Aaron O'Toole um, got someone during the election that was much more progressive, and I don't think that I don't think they're going to forgive that, and it doesn't sound like they are, which speaks to I'll call it I'm not even going to call it a rearguard action. It's actually a a full on assault on the leadership of Aaron O'Toole, where there are people within the party that want to bring it to a leadership vote. Uh, and to get that vote as soon as possible in order to uh, to bring some sort of, sort of settlement to what Aaron O'Toole is doing. So stay mm. tuned. This is going to be like one of those, uh, what do we call it? political soap opera. It's going to go and go, and then someone else will say something. And, and right now, the latest thing is the uh, person being uh, booted out right now by, uh, by Aaron O'Toole. 
And we saw uh, conservative MP Michelle Rempel Garner tweeting about this, just you know, basically pleading for an end to this, uh, saying essentially that uh, liberals are popping champagne corks o- o- over this division. Um, I mean, I-, I thought unifying the Reform Party and the Progressive Conservative Party back in the day with Stephen Harper and Peter McKay was supposed to unify the party and, and end this uh, division, but but it's just sort of bubbling up again. Yeah, and Rempel Gardner is 100% right. You know, if if the narrative continues that the conservatives are divided, they don't have any chance of uh, of, of forming, a, for example, a majority government, because uh, or even a government. I would hazard to say because if if a, if if a party does not support its leader or a party is divided, it basically is a big signal to average voters that that party is not ready to govern. So if the conservatives want any chance. Of, uh, of getting rid of the liberals, they have to uh, they have to unify and have one message, and and you know I guess I guess maybe maybe some of those conservative insiders have to decide who their who their enemy is. Hmm. Uh, is it some of their colleagues that might be a little more progressive or perhaps a little too right wing, depending on where you stand on the spectrum, hmm. or is it the liberals and trying to get back into power? Right now, it looks like the conservatives have their sights firmly set on each other. As they uh, remember, SETV blowed up real good. That's blowed up. Real good. That's what we're talking about right now for the conservatives. They're going to yeah. blow up real good, uh, but you know they've got to pull themselves together because the ironic twist in all of this is that there's not a lot of enthusiasm for the liberals or Justin Trudeau, mm. and that people are are looking for an alternative to them. No, now on that point, Nick. I mean, you've got you've got the the numbers to back that up. That there's a lot of dissatisfaction with the major parties. Um, do you think O'Toole's strategy to sort of push the party closer to the center right let's say it, it, it is is a is a potentially successful uh strategy well uh, properly in- implemented it can be a successful strategy the fact of the matter is is that most canadians are in the center i mean what do we have in the parties we have the conservatives trying to manage for example and respond to the people's party which picked up support in the last election around and they're still at around five percent nationally and then we have the liberals you know, being very progressive, this is an exceptionally progressive uh, liberal government because they are worried about the, the new Democrats. What does that mean? That means the center has been abandoned. What does mm-hmm. this mean? That most Canadians have been abandoned. Uh, they prob- And I think for many Canadians, when they see a very progressive liberal government, a liberal party, we should say, and a conservative party that's focused on the right wing, basically the center has been vacated. And I think for any of the two major parties that have realistically a chance to form a government moving towards the center, not at the center, but moving towards the center is probably the best strategy to form a majority government. Mm. Uh, and the conservatives aren't, aren't alone in, in dealing with this internal strife. Uh, another news story we've seen recently is, is that uh, enemy Paul is now officially out of the Green Party. It, it took weeks for that to happen. Uh, there was some sort of legal arrangement uh, in the background there. Um, what, I mean, what is going on with, 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 uh, with a lot of these opposition parties? I think we should add for Enemy Paul that I believe that she also said that she is, will no longer be a member of the Green Party of Canada. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, it's kind of like in your face, right? Let me not just uh, step down, but let me take my little green card, if there is such a green card, green party card, psh, rip mm-hmm. it up. Um, and you know, the thing recycled is, paper, probably. On yeah. So think card. of it this way. So if you're in the conservatives, it's like right wing, you know, how progressive or, or socially conservative are you for the liberals? It's like, 
are you uh, a blue liberal, which is a little more fiscally conservative, or are you, uh, are you a, a very progressive liberal? And for the Green Party, part of the subtext, my understanding is that part of the subtext is that there are individuals within the Green Party that would be very happy to see the Greens to be left and left of the New Democrats uh, as uh, more of a, a left-wing social Democrat alternative to the New Democrats. And then there are other Green Party members that probably want to see the party more like in the mold of the Green Party in Germany, which will be part of the now the potential German coalition government, which is a little more centrist, uh, actually includes some conservatives mm-hmm. focused on the green recovery and a green economy, still committed to the environment, but a little more uh, centrist, so to speak. And I think uh, enemy Paul uh, in addition to the subtext of all the stuff that happened in terms of uh, the internal politics of, of the Green Party and some of the personalities, I think this other subtext of Green Party, what is it? Is it, you know, a left wing New Democratic Party uh, or is it a little more of a uh, moderate environmental party? And I think uh, I think for Annemie Paul, it looked like from what I heard that she was more on the German side of the equation in terms of a moderate uh, environmental party, you know, Mm. the Greens, while others were not happy with that. And they basically took the legs out from under day one of the campaign. And uh, here's another party that, like, let's face it, we were talking about floods in British Columbia, followed by fires in British Columbia. If Mm -hmm. there's a time for the Green Party to really shine, this is the time. So it's a significantly massively missed opportunity for the green party and and they're bickering too Mm -hmm. just like the conservatives uh i I don't want to leave out two other uh parties that where things are the waters are calm uh i I suppose there isn't a a a try and attempt to drift to the center the ndp and and also i'll I'll include the people's party uh things are things are calm there yeah plus and and i'd also include the bloc quebecois in that Mm -hmm. for jugmeet singh and the new democrats uh, no real rumblings, at least publicly, about his leadership. But you know, how many times can the guy run and not win or not move the move the dial? I think that's eventually going to catch up with him. Uh, Blanchette managed to hold on to what he has, so there's not going to be any uh, grumblings for his leadership. And Maxime Bernier's got his own personal party called the uh, People's Party of Canada, and his numbers are still uh, and the numbers for the party are still at around five or six percent. So good on them for, on that front. Uh, Nick, let's let's do a provincial check-in. Uh, for this episode, we're going to look at Quebec, where uh, CAQ Premier Francois Legault, uh, I, is it safe to say he's the most politically dominant premier in the entire country? I think so. He's mm-hmm. definitely not in trouble, uh, has very high numbers. And, uh, you know, when we look at uh, tracking from, uh, from my friend Jean-Marc Leger, uh, who has a great grip on the pulse of uh, provincial politics on Quebec. When we look at those Leger tracking numbers, you can see the CAC party at 47%, almost one out of every two Quebecers uh, in, the, uh, on the, uh, in the October numbers from Leger suggest that they would uh, vote CAC. And the Liberals, the once mighty provincial Liberals back 27 points, they're at 20. Wow. The Parti Québécois, the once powerful Parti Québécois, 11%, that's one out of every 10, and uh, Quebec Solidaire at around 11%. So what we have is a whopping advantage. And, you know, some some experts suggest that if there were an election held, that Legault could sweep the whole province, that he could wow. win every single seat. 
And remember when that happened, Time Machine, Frank mm. McKenna, 1987. Wow. And uh, was uh, was one of the big sweeps in Canadian political history. Uh, but yeah, Legault, standing tall, very connected with the voters. They seem to be very happy with him at this particular point in time. So, uh, so yeah, pretty strong numbers for uh, Legault and the CAC. Uh, I'm, I'm curious. So, you know, it's happened in uh, New Brunswick before, uh, as you've said, but incredibly rare. I'm, maybe that's the only time uh, I'm, I'm, I need to fact check that. Uh, but but what I mean, what is driving this in Quebec? Why why is why is the support for the opposition there so low? Well, first of all, the, the provincial liberal band uh, took a hit and has taken a hit over the last number of years uh, with controversies uh, related to some uh, some behavior. Uh, political behavior. Uh, the Parti Québécois, I think, I think for many Quebecers, uh, are there fatigued, at least with uh, separation, not nationalism and not sovereignty, but with separatism. And uh, there's no wind in the sails for the Parti Québécois. And then you have to give uh, Legault credit. He's been, uh, he's been uh, a steady leader He's done well throughout the pandemic. And, you know, some other premiers have had a little turbulence. He hasn't really had very much turbulence. He's been uh, very solid throughout the pandemic. And he's been focused on jobs in the economy and a, and a better future, while at the same time, a very strong advocate for the province of Quebec, for the French language. And uh, I think he's, he's struck the right balance to, uh, to really uh, be a dominant, dominant force in uh, Quebec provincial politics. Uh, Nick, let's take a quick break. But afterwards, we're going to discuss uh, the latest on U.S.-Canada relations. Nick, uh, we're back. So uh, U.S.-Canada relations may be a little bit frosty in terms of trade, but but in terms of what uh, Canadians and Americans can agree on, you have some really great uh, new data for us. Well, I, th I think uh, Canadians, Americans, and Mexicans can all agree that we're at the top at, of the CONCACAF table. Those yes. three countries are dominating <laughs> very, CONCACAF. Very, so the three important. amigos, they might be thumb wrestling yeah. over who the better team is. Yeah, and, uh, Mexico probably not so happy about that. But Yeah, uh, well, yeah. at least uh, today, Justin Trudeau wins the thumb wrestling on the soccer front. But mm. um, yeah, there's some interesting, we do a, a long-term study, long-term tracking study of a thousand Canadians and a thousand Americans on, uh, on the big issues. And, you know, obviously the pandemic is a big issue. And, you know, when we ask Canadians and Americans, for example, uh, who the biggest health threat uh, might be in this pandemic era, uh, both Canadians and Americans agree that it is China. About 73% uh, of, of Americans cite China as the biggest uh, health threat. Only about 5% think that Canada is a health threat. That's one out of every 20. Hmm. And among Canadians, about two out of every three or 65% of Canadians uh, think that China is the major health threat. But three out of 10 Canadians think that the U.S. is a health threat. So a little more wow. on the radar. But one of the things that's interesting in the tracking over a longer period of time is that the one thing that Canadians and Americans are synchronized on is a focus on China and concern about China. So uh, that's that's really one of the big uh, one of the big takeaways from the uh, from the longer term tracking and and the most recent wave of research that we've done. Hmm. 
Uh, we saw uh, U.S. President uh, Joe Biden had a meeting with uh, Chinese President Xi um, recently just to sort of cool tensions. Uh, and, and it's really driving a lot of, uh, you know, debate in Canada on, on, on how we should approach relations with China, especially after the, the, the two Michaels. Um, uh, what, what do you think uh, will happen in the, in the future in terms of trade with, with Canada and China and, and, and relations? Well, I think what has to happen, I think what would be in the ideal situation is that there should be some sort of, of uh, strategy or common sense of purpose in terms of uh, uh, relations with China. And I think for the Americans, what, you know, what they would like to see. And, you know, when, when we, for example, take something basic like inspecting goods, you know, we ask Americans and Canadians, you know, their goods coming from a number of different major partner trading partners like, you know, China, Japan, Germany, um, you know, the United Kingdom and France, you know, at the top of the list for inspections in both Canada and the United States is China, about mm. two out of every three Canadians and about 55% of Americans think that uh, China should be the top target for inspecting goods when it comes when it shows up at uh, either the American or the Canadian border. But, you know, I think, I think right now, at least, there has to be some sort of alignment, not perfect alignment, but some sort of understanding on how to respond to China. And you know what, Michael, the United States, Canada, Germany, the United Kingdom, everyone in the world is trying to sort out what the relationship is with China and how to manage that. And, uh, but I think, I think for the Americans, they're probably, uh, I would probably hazard to say they're probably a little impatient with Canada because, you know, they're assuming that Canada should, should have a similar type of policy, but, you know, you look at that 5G stuff, 5G stuff, no decision on that. Yeah. And, uh, it, it, it rattles the Canadian cage when, uh, when us president Joe Biden says, we don't have a better friend and ally than uh australia and then everybody in canada's like what hey yeah. come on i thought we were your best friend well maybe not uh but i think that speaks to some of the underlying tension that we have between uh, the canadian government and the u.s administration on some big issues including china hmm. uh nick any any final thoughts for this episode any any uh big takeaway well you know i think the big takeaway is uh we continue to have uncertainty there's political uncertainty because of, for example, problems within the, the Conservative Party and what that might mean. Uh, we've got the speech from the throne coming up. That will probably be the key indicator as to the political future, not just of the Liberals, but also of Justin Trudeau. Uh, will it be a legacy speech from the throne, perhaps with some big new initiatives on the environment and Indigenous uh, reconciliation? Or will it be workmanlike to try to uh, rebuild a liberal coalition so that they're ready for the next election? So, so that'll be the one thing that I'm uh, looking for. But a lot of uncertainty, and it won't be settled, I don't think, in 2022. Mm. Uh, well, well, we'll definitely be watching uh, that throne speech very carefully to see to see which way it goes. Uh, Nick, as always, thanks very much. Okay, take you. And where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Nick. NIK Nanos or at www.nanos.co. And I'm also on Twitter at Michael Stittle. And also for more on what Nick and I have discussed, please go to ctvnews.ca. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.